that are alive, you are coming with me. What is this bullshit? Good trash genre cast. I love you. I know. Wax on, right hand. Wax off, left hand. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hello everybody and welcome again to the Good Trash Genrecast. Where people gather around a table, we discuss the films that will never come up in a film studies course unless they are Shocktober specific in the terms of the horror genre. This week's film is the movie Saw, the past tense of having seen. It's all about Letterbox and how many movies you saw last year i thought it was gonna be about carpentry um, oh did you yeah but it was not it was not a jesus uh I, biopic i can't take credit for that joke that was a joke that was on superstore uh this past week uh where the overly religious manager said that they rented or no they bought tickets to go see saw because they thought it was for carpentry <laughs> uh but then they wound up staying through the whole movie because of the tickets were non-refundable i knew a guy who uh would always tell the story anytime the saw franchise came up he would tell a story about going to see it with a friend of his uh, and they walked out, and there was a line of people lined up at Harkins for the next. I think that, that's where he always told me it was, uh, the theater here in downtown Oklahoma City. Uh, and they walked past this line of people lined up for the next showing. And his buddy looks at the people and goes, it's the guy on the floor. <laughs> and I will always think about that story every time I watch this movie. It's great. <laughs> yeah, what a terrible person. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, I won't say that again when we get to the uh, part where I say we don't spoil. But Everybody's seen this goddamn movie. Yeah, it's probably true. So let's it's identify ourselves. Years. Who are we and oh who, who are you lot? Go ahead, sir, in the recliner. What's your name? I am Arthur Gordon, and live and die, the choice is yours. Live and die? Live or die. Oh, I get to do both. Live and let <laughs> die. Bow. Well, the singing's back. All right, and who are you, sir? Oh, it never left. It's always been here. If it's if you look deep enough into your heart, the song's <laughs> always there. Uh, my name is Dalton Stewart, and uh, man, I really wish I'd checked in there first. Okay, my <laughs> name is Dustin Sells. Oh, Did you find anything? Nothing solid. Lee Winnell has some fucking bangers in this movie. Ugh. Okay, my name is Dustin Sells, and let me tell you where you might be. You might be in the room you die in, and here we are. <laughs> Disgusting. God, I hope not. <laughs> there could be worse. It's going to be Pluto. If Pluto, yeah, I mean, if it's Pluto, look at him go, don't, man. Don't jump, Pluto. He's got so much to live for. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, he, he made did. it. He made it. And they always... do land on their feet. Oh, yeah. My roommate's cat, uh, for those of you listening at home, my roommate's cat just got a, a little uh, cat condo, and he is loving it. And we love watching him play on it. It's so good. So here you are tuned into the Good it's Trash. It's my favorite game to watch somebody play. <laughs> Here you are tuned into the Good Trash Donnercast, uh, and this may be the first time you've tuned into any of the podcasts on the Good Trash Media Network. We want to let you know what's going to happen on this show. Uh, we will not reference any people on the floor any further uh, for the time being because we try to be spoiler-free in case you have not seen the film. So we will have synopsis from The Voice of Cinema with our quick thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews, which will uh, be as spoiler-free as possible. Then we will play a game which might involve a mild spoiler of this film or other films in its orbit. And then once we get down to business, all spoiler bets are off you have been warned so without any further ado mr arthur gordon voice of the cinema let's hear the synopsis of the film saw two strangers awaken in a room with no recollection of how they got there or why and soon discover they are pawns in a deadly game perpetrated 
by a notorious serial killer. Seven years later, a room full of theater goers find themselves together in a room without any clear idea of why they keep going to see these films. This is a franchise. The most, according to you, and I believe you because you're good at research, the most profitable horror franchise in history. Which, if I'm not mistaken. Which makes sense because they made all these movies for around, like, I mean, I think the first couple were $1. like five, five to ten mil, and they all grossed like a hundred million yeah. until like the fourth movie. Bonkers, man! It's insane. Bonkers ROI, and they yeah. just kept making. And this them. is a fantastic franchise because if you look, every entry gets a lower and lower tomato score. They just keep getting, but worse. they just keep making more and more money. Yeah, They're like it's the funniest. Thing there's in the only world. one that like I think there's only like one or two that like made less than the previous entry. Like highest performing uh, demographic. Any guesses? I'm going to guess uh, teenage boys. Yeah. yeah, that's my guess. 18 to 24 year old males. Yeah, there you go. Yep. Yeah, we're dumb. Um, yeah, we are. Oh, hey, I'm, we're out, all outside of the demographic now. I'm, Thank I'm, I'm God. the only dumb one. <laughs> I, I will be the sole member of this tree. Yeah, going to uh, see Jigsaw, probably. Arthur, I, you know what? Hey, I might go see Jigsaw. Um, <laughs> Arthur was kind enough to purchase the Saw Unrated collection on Voodoo for us so we could watch as many yeah. of these as we cho- chose to. I actually, I purchased on Blu ray and it came with the digital downloads. You bought like a physical collection yeah. of this? Man, yeah, that's Arthur. Arthur is committed. Yeah. So, uh, in case you're wondering uh, why we're doing this, as if you're a regular listener and you know we don't normally do horror films, it is our sixth annual Shocktober marathon. So we're going to keep talking about spoopies throughout the month of October in honor of Samhain. Yes, indeedy. And so, uh, without any further ado, without spoilers, let's hear our thumbs up, thumbs down reviews of the granddaddy of them all, the one that started it, the first film in the Saw franchise. I go to you first, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What say you on the film Saw? So every time this franchise comes up in conversation, um, I, I always say, well, you know, the first one's pretty good. Um, and I've only seen the first three. Uh, that is my experience with this franchise going in. Uh, and I think I might have seen the second one like two and a half times when it was out on DVD. I saw the third one once in theaters. And I actually didn't see the first one until uh, a couple years later. Um, but I have I had fairly good memories of, of this film. Um, but I haven't seen it since I was... Oh it's been at least ten years probably since I've seen this movie. Maybe a little bit more recent. But I, I remembered liking it quite a bit. So I was pretty shocked at how little I enjoyed this movie. Um, because I like James Wan a lot. Uh, I like uh, both of the Conjuring movies. I like the first one quite a bit more. I like the first Insidious. I don't really care for the second one. Uh, I like all of his uh, forays into the action genre uh, that he's made, uh, including Death Sentence, which is uh, the, the first action movie I remember seeing with horror levels, uh, horror movie levels of violence. Um, so I like James Wan as a filmmaker in general, and I remembered really liking this film, and I just... Guys, it just didn't do it for me. Uh, it's fine. I like things about it. I like the general setup is really interesting. Um, it, it, it does feel like a very uh, two film high or uh, two film school students trying to write a Alfred Hitchcock movie for the new millennium. I mean, that's what it feels like, um, and it does kind of have that that sort of brilliantly simplistic Hitchcockian setup. Uh, but I feel like. I, I didn't remember how much this movie got into its own mythology in the first entry. And all of that shit is incredibly convoluted and uninteresting to me. Uh, and I didn't really remember that coming up until the second and third franchi- uh, entries in the franchise. And, uh, man, no, it is here from the get-go. I mean, they, they were laying down a, a mythology of sorts, uh, a world, an interconnected you know, universe of sorts in that first entry. 
and I just don't give a shit. I don't care. It's boring. I uh, Jigsaw's rules and ideology are kind of arbitrary and silly, and the longer this movie goes on, the less sense it makes, and every single movie in this franchise, and again, we will probably, at least Arthur and I will probably be talking about this franchise kind of as a whole throughout this conversation, two and three, uh, at least, both copy, and my understanding is all the other films do this. They basically have the exact same climax as this film. There is a new piece of material that recontextualizes the entire movie you've been watching, and they use the same piece of score, Hello, Zep, uh, which is a great little piece of horror scoring, and they just use that. <clears throat> well, uh, that was startling. Uh, and they just use that piece of music uh, and do a big quick-cut montage and change all the stakes of the film, and I just don't give a shit. Um, so it's, it's perfectly fine to watch, but I'm not angry that we watched this. It was nice to go and revisit it, but I was definitely surprised at how not engaged with it I was. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dulcer. What do you say, Arthur? Do you seem to be somewhat of a fan? I am. So, I, I have all of the craps you, to they've give. They've got you hook, line, and they sinker. They do. I have, I, have, I have mentioned this off air a few times. I have seen this franchise every entry several times. Uh, I've rewatched one through four for this uh, particular episode, and that's probably the third to fourth time I've seen each of those films. Um, I remember this movie I, I, coming out. I remember 2004 was the year I graduated, so it had been right after high school when I saw this. Um, and yeah, I was, I, 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 you're right. It's stupid convoluted. Like it makes no sense. Oh, it's crazy. It's dumb, but I love it. I don't know why I, I love this intrigue. I love this world that they've built and it, it plays by its rules and it, it does what it wants to do. And it makes no sense. Time doesn't matter. It, you, you can't try to have an understanding of timelines when you're watching the franchise. Um, uh, but in regards to this first movie, I, I think the appeal is, you know, good or bad, it's been an important film uh, for the horror genre. I, I think that's definitely fair. And I think that's where we have to look back at this one at. Because you're right, I mean, some, I mean, the dialogue's not great. The performance is all over the place. You know, Ula's Glover, I mean, these guys are cashing a check. Uh, this was a small-budget indie film that should not have taken off, and it took off hard. And uh, I think, you know, had they known going into it what the outcome would be, we'd see different performances and things like that. But you've got two guys who are just piecing this thing together. Um, but it's really more important for what it means to Juan's career, and it's more important for what it means as a franchise entry and in the mid-2000s uh, to the horror genre, I think. Um, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, it's it's trying to be I mean, it's trying to be super cool. It's I mean, trying to be yeah. really it's trying to be fun super and edgy cool. and yeah. MTV. And, uh, I mean, it hits, it misses. Um, I, I mean, there's... There's nothing particular about it that's very good. I mean, it's competently made. It's very competent. I think Juan's direction is very competently yes. made. Um, and you can tell this is a guy who's very um, creative and wily in that he's able to put things together um, on a whim and make it work and it work well and you don't even know. And so I think I can appreciate all of that for it. Um, but I, I don't know what it is about this franchise, but I just enjoy it. I hate the gore. Like, I avert my eyes through most of that stuff. Uh, but I'm just 
drawn to this film, this franchise, and I don't know why. It's just something fun about it for me. We, we were talking about this off air a little bit, and um, you know, when this franchise comes up, people always talk about how like how much more violent they they've got they yeah. went they got as they went. Yeah, which made me forget just how graphic the first one is. I remember the first one being pretty like gore minimal. You forget everything outside of that room. You don't think about this movie and no. think about anything that doesn't take place in that room. No, because all the stuff outside of this room is deeply uninteresting. Everybody thinks about this movie. They think about Adam, they think about Dr. Gordon, and they think about the foot. Like that's the, the marker yeah. of this film. That's what anybody that oh yeah, I've seen that. You forget all the stuff about Amanda. Yeah, but you forget Monica trap. Porter's in this movie? Yeah. Like the, the yeah, the when the Monica home Porter showed thing. up, I was like, what the f- what? Um but uh you know this this franchise really just takes on a whole new arm uh leg when uh, Costas Mandalore shows up uh later. Is that the actor yeah, that, okay. he he's Detective Hoffman or Lieutenant Hoffman. Uh, but, uh, the whole thing takes a whole different tone, uh, after that, I think, uh, which is just interesting. Uh, I, I, I like it. I don't know. It's, it's near and dear to my heart. Alrighty. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Um, I would have to say that I have not seen any of the other films in the franchise. The only movie I've seen is the original Saw. And, uh, I do think it is a, a well-written, I think it's fun. I think the twist works. I think all of that stuff works really well. I think they're they're making great use of a very small budget and those yeah. kind of mm-hmm. things. And uh, despite Carrie Elwes maybe occasionally phoning in some lines, I'm all right with that. Danny Glover does a Danny Glover whisper, right? Hey, doctor. He's he's actively too old for this shit. Yeah, he's yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I love Danny Glover doing his Danny Glover esque performance uh, with all of that. So that that's all fine by me. I do think there is a law of diminishing returns with this film mm-hmm. because it does become. Um, the, the, there are uh, it's well written it's very intricate as a plot as far as uh, the twists and how they're hidden but once you know you know and that's really most the fun for me is is just that 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 moment of realization mm-hmm. when you when you find out you know that it turns out um, Dr. Gordon is actually Adam's father when that happens <laughs> or whatever the actual spoiler is uh, when, when that you know those kind of moments and, and, and the ways in which there are some red herrings the ways in which uh, there are attempts to trick uh jigsaw uh all that stuff's fine you know um it's great the first time and it's okay the second time it's boring the third time and then you just don't care after that and i think that's where i'm at with it yeah but but i have to say that but that being said i can still sort of stand in awe of its writing you know uh that it definitely does things very very well it definitely connects to you on that visceral level as the viscera comes out of bodies and uh items are being found that reverse bear trap is still terrifying i don't care what anybody says there is a moment uh that uh a bag moves and it scares me every single time as a jump scare even when i know it's coming so i mean that's all well timed and, and done well but yeah it's it, it it is. Uh, it, it suffers a, a sort of a sixth sense kind of problem. Once you know, you know, and that's most the fun. It yeah. turns out. I, I'll say this. Um, I, I feel like because Lee Winnell is the. Uh, this is the only uh, of the films. This is the only film where Lee Winnell's the the sole credited screenwriter. I think he gets secondary credit on the second one. I think they get story credits. I don't think he gets a writing credit. I, I did read that Saw 2 was originally written as a, a stand, like had nothing to do with this yeah. franchise. Yeah. And Lee Winnell kind of came in and helped doctor it, doctor it a little bit. But um, I, I think what Lee Winnell understands about the writing of these traps is that less is more. Yeah. And these other films just don't get that. They yeah. think they think like the more convoluted, the more body horror these traps are, the scary. Yeah. No, I mean, there is a beautiful simplicity to yeah. the reverse bear trap. Yeah. 
th- that's all there is to it. It's a reverse bear trap. You got 60 seconds. Are you willing to dig through somebody else's guts to get out of this? Yeah. Um, the razor wire one, it kind of beautifully simplistic. The, yeah. the, you know, being covered in kerosene and trying to read a yeah. safe combo by candlelight. These are all kind of beautifully simplistic. And then you get into the second one, which is a whole trap house. Uh, and I don't mean in the fun trap music kind of trap house. <laughs> um, and then by the third one, there's, you know, limb twistifications and just, yeah. and just acid bottles and who, what? No, stop it. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's what I will say. Cause we have kind of beaten up on the story a little bit. I will say that about Lee Winnell's script is it does understand that less is more, uh, you imply one very visceral thing, and that does that. That'll carry you a very long yeah. way. Yeah. So there you go. Our biases. We 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 have some appreciation. We also have some quibbles. And Arthur just unapologetically likes it, it in spite of itself. Yep. And, and that's totally All fine. In. So uh, we're having this conversation right now with each other, but we want to have it with you, Dalton. Tell us how we can do that. Uh, well, dear listener, there there's no uh, no gamery here. Um, you just go go online. I'm not going to. There's no trickery. There's no traps. You get on your computer. You go to Twitter. It's at good underscore trash. That's where you talk to us. And then you have 60 seconds until... You don't have to tweet. No, it's oh, fine. You, oh, can, okay. you, know, you can just go on there. You can look at the feed. You don't, you don't even have to do anything. You can just go there and be there. Uh, you can also go to facebook.com forward slash GTM. Um, that is another place where you can find uh, what we're doing and what we're up to. And there, there's a toilet that you have to find. Now, that is true. If you okay. go to Facebook, you do have to sift through a yes, toilet. It's a giant, Facebook is a giant toilet. Yeah. Um, Correct. And whereas, you know... Uh, um, Twitter's more of a bathtub that you can't get out of, um, and, and and that's really where we're at with it. So uh, you'll notice that the Facebook is not updated as frequently as the Twitter, uh, but you can engage with us there. We do kind of keep an eye on it. Um, so again, that's facebook.com forward slash GTM, as in Good Trash Media, and then you'll go over to Twitter, and that's good underscore trash. Um, and then you can always, of course, rate and review and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio and uh, however else you put uh, podcasts into your ears. All righty. Well, there you go. No more of this, guys. It's time to play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> Now comes the part of the show where we play a game in which no one dies, which is far less interesting than the games you might see in Saw, but this week's game is our favorite cinematic prisoners. Oh, that's right. Favorite cinematic prisoners brought to you by Saw. Saw. There's a lot of prisoners in this franchise, and none of them are going to make this list. True. Accurate. Yeah. All right. Well, here we go. Starting right off the bat, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what is your first uh, pick for favorite cinematic prisoners? If I was going to pick one from this movie, that would be Amanda, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, no. Yeah. Shawnee Smith's great. Uh, yeah, she she goes in a bubble, uh, and all the bad Except things. Some of the terrible wig she's wearing too. Oh my god, yeah, Poor her little girl. punk rock wig, wig yeah. that she's wearing. It's, it's not. It's not very. It. It's very bad. Yeah, it's not. It's good. a bad wig. Uh, my first one is going to be uh, actually uh, a connection to this film. It is uh, another film with Carrie Ullis, and mm. it's Kiss the Girls. And I'm looking at Kate McTiernan, uh, played by Ashley Judd, mm. and the that film base is based around a serial killer who's kidnapping you know girls, uh, but one gets away, and so she is able to get out of the killer's lair, and she makes it to the police, and she actually works with uh, Morgan Freeman's Alex Cross character from the books um, to solve the case, and so I think it's just a fun kind of. Interesting character dynamic to bring into this. Uh, we got the fun connection with Ula's. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I, I think it's always interesting. We always get some, I think, strong female 
uh, prisoners. Yeah, it is one of those things that is unfortunate about the the way uh, men writing screenplays for Hollywood often write female characters as yeah. prisoners. Uh, however, I think the, those performances often shine on the strength of the actresses playing those characters yeah. uh, and give something a little bit put put some meat on uh, on, on bones that aren't really there. Yeah, and so I, I'm going to give Ashley Judd a nod. I think that's a fun little thriller. Uh, I, I like Morgan Freeman a lot, uh, but I think Ashley Judd does some good work here and there, and she doesn't do a lot um, anymore. And so I'm going to give her a nod. Give her some uh, give her some good loving, a little little bit of uh, thriller loving. Yeah, I miss Ashley Judd. Uh, my dad was a big fan of Double Jeopardy, so I watched that several times. Oh yeah, that's the one where uh, she she murders her abusive husband, right, and then can't get tried with it because of Double Jeopardy, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, she, he fake he fakes his murder. Yeah. And then she gets arrested for it, gets out, and then finds out he's still alive, and she goes to kill him again, and she can't do anything because it's Double Jeopardy, so she can do it. What a, what a fun premise for a film. I think Tommy Lee Jones is that right? Tommy yes. Lee Jones yeah. is in it. Yes. Yeah. And Bruce Greenwood is that the husband? Bruce Greenwood's in it. Now, now I have to watch. I got to double check that. I might be lying. All right, that's my first pick. Sorry, sorry, I got sidetracked about Double Jeopardy. All good. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What is your next or your first selection? My first or selection is also uh, a lady, um, and it's I, you know I think. Uh, Fair to say everyone here is a favorite uh, blockbuster mental patient, and that is Linda Hamill as uh, as uh, Sarah Connor. Linda yeah. Hamilton. Linda Hamilton. Linda yeah. Hamilton. I always grew up her last name. Hamilton. It is Hamilton. Okay. Hamilton. Lin- Thank you. Uh, Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor in yeah. T2 colon Judgment Day. That was, that was on the other day, and it was on that scene. I just turned it on. It was on that scene in the, in the institution. Just her doing pull-ups? Uh, no, it's the one where she makes her escape. Oh, where she's spitting the paper clip out? Yeah. That's so good. And it, the movie's held up so well. That's just a great. She's great. She's money. Yeah, she's I, so good. I went and saw the uh, the 3D uh, re-release this oh, summer. Yeah, yeah. And that, I never. That is a movie that I can start at any point in the film, yep. and I will end up watching the yep. whole movie because it holds up that well. And I think a big part of why it holds up that well is Linda Hamilton's performance. Um, also, Arnie and Edward Furlong's performances. But I mean, yeah, yep. you know, they're not held captive in this. Uh, she is, and she's great. Every scene she, and that's the thing. Those are sequences that could really drag this film down if they weren't very good. They're all great. Um, writing, direction, acting, everything about every sequence in the, the Pescadero State Hospital is fucking awesome. And she just sells every one of those scenes of, like, doing her best to tamp down how irritated she is about being there and trying to, like, sell that, she, oh, yeah, you're right, I'm delusional, you're, you're right, let me go home, please. Please let me go home, or let me see my son. And she's so good at selling that, like selling that and then when she realizes that uh the doctor sees through her bullshit like her her indignance and her rage it's just a great performance and um yeah i mean what else i, I could not pick her all righty well thank you very much for that mr dalford um my first pick is an actor called uh, pietro cerubi um who we all of know of course it is from um, Cap- uh, captain corelli's mandolin is the name of a film that you might know him from but actually i'm picking it from another uh torture porn uh related film that is mel gibson's passion of the christ this guy plays barabbas <laughs> in well that, played. In, in, that was sneaky in well that played. film and i love his performance here then he's only a prisoner for a very very short time of course as you may or may not know from 
from Sunday school. Barabbas is the other uh, person who is the, the, the penitent thief, uh, not penitent thief. Though okay. the person convicted of a crime, yep. and a pilot wants to let somebody go. Yep. And uh, so, will you pick Jesus of Nazareth or Barabbas? Thinking no one will pick Barabbas, and of course, Barabbas is who gets picked. And uh, so, Ruby plays Barabbas as insane, as this crazy sort of character who has no idea this is not his movie. He has no <laughs> idea whatsoever that this is not him finally making it to the big time and realizing he's just a sidelight, you know, in a flannel graph Bible story with lots more blood uh, about Jesus. Uh, and so I really, really like uh, that particular performance by Saruby and uh, this character Barabbas and that portrayal in Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, uh, one of the greats of the torture porn genre. I, I really now want to come complete a, uh, a a set of flannel graph horror movies yes um yeah, flannel graph saw flannel graph halloween uh flannel graph martyrs um it'll be a good time for the kids for the, so the, the whole family them, the whole family you know just gather kids. around the flannel board and uh just tell them the great stories of our time okay <laughs> flannel graph nightmare before or nightmare on elm street yeah, and I remember before Christmas. And yeah, both. Why not? Just both. do them both. Side by side. It's a marathon. <laughs> flannel graphathon. All right. Well, thank you uh, for that. Hey, Arthur. guys, what's a flannel graph? You don't know if you went to Sunday school. It's like a big board and you just put It's like it's felt. a felt board and you have like these little felt characters. I didn't know there was a name for those It's, it's called the flannel graph. That's what those were called? Yeah. Yeah, no, okay, I didn't know. Now you're on board, aren't you? Now I'm super on board. I was just going with the riff earlier. (laughs) Now I'm actually on board. (laughs) 70s technology, man. Oh, I'm there for it. I'm like little felt Freddy Krueger just killing felt Joseph. Like his little felt head comes off. Now I'm picturing the, did you get the, I I think my grandmother gave me uh, one of those like dolls of, uh, books of paper dolls with Bible characters. And now I'm picturing that with both horror characters and it's very fun. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. You can put the pig mask on Tobin Bell. Here here come the Cenobites. You know, you can mix it up. (laughs) All your crossover characters. Oh, fuck. Pinhead is a Mr. Potato Head. Sold. I mean. I would lose so many pins though. Yeah, just into the potato. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to eat that potato afterwards. <laughs> oh, okay. it's, a, it's a safety hazard. Yeah. It's just a russet with some uh, <laughs> some pins. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was picturing too. <laughs> just paint it black. Yeah. Oh my sweet lord! All right, we're gonna move on, Mister Arthur Gordon. What is your next selection for favorite cinematic prisoners? Update: It is Bruce Greenwood in Double Jeopardy. Thank for you. Those curious. Um, uh, my next, I was actually going to pick uh, one person, but I'm going to audible because I think of someone more iconic, and that is Slave Leia in Return of the Jedi, who just straight up strangles Jabba the Hutt, and I can appreciate that. There's that great interview with uh, Carrie Fisher about uh, the bikini, and she's like, yeah, but I get to choke out the worm, so I guess it all worked out. Yeah, she's I like, mean, yeah, that, that scene's, that, that whole sequence is pretty gross, but I also yeah, killed the worm, so. I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's probably one of the most iconic portrayals in cinema, it, it's like simultaneously like one of the grossest, the the most problematic and most empowering things in like seventies uh, and 80s science fiction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is really weird. Yeah, and completely shaped many teen boys. Um, but I, I think it's just fantastic. She strangles him. Like, yeah, I mean she's she's badass. Carrie Fisher's cool. She's great. She was yeah. so great. I loved her. I've got to go with that. Excellent pick. I appreciate that very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What do you say next, Mr. Dalton Stewart, for your second selection for favorite cinematic prisoners? Uh, my favorite cinematic prisoners next up are going to be Ezra Miller, Michelangelo, Ty Sheridan, uh, 
Keir Gilchrist, Johnny Simmons at all in the Stanford Prison Experiment from a couple of years ago, um, which is, yes, you guess it, about Philip Zimbardo's uh, uh, Stanford Prison Experiment, 1971. Um, not a fantastic film, a very solid film, though, with some really stand-up performances from that uh, Who's Who cast. I, I goofed some of those names, but you recognized most of them, uh, especially Ty Sheridan and Ezra Miller. Uh, but again, a, a whole who's who of uh, of white 20-something dudes uh, just, you know, getting beat up or beating up on. Um, and again, a, a, a film decidedly about prisoners, uh, but a film about the, uh, the imprisonment of systems uh, and how systems uh, encourage uh, behavior and dehumanizing behavior in people and how um, an inherently divided and hierarchical system can bring out the worst in people um again so not not a great film but i think a film that does engage with um zimbardo's real guilt almost but with uh, his guilt about the experiment and at the same time his 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 difficulty in reckoning with what what the experiment was um so again something i recommend again not a perfect film um, not one to seek out, but if you happen to stumble across it, definitely worth watching, especially for those really strong performances. And I'm going to go ahead and say the standouts there are going to be Ezra Miller and Johnny Simmons. Uh, Johnny Simmons plays the, one of the kids that gets way too into being one of the guards. Um, actually, no, I think Johnny Simmons plays one of the research assistants now that I think about it. But again, a film worth seeking out um, if you've got the time. Alrighty, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton I'm playing Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon with my selection. So my next selection is Jim Caviezel, uh, star of The Passion of the Christ, but this time in his role as Edmund Dantes in The Count of Monte Cristo. Nice. Uh, it's a great movie. Nice. Uh, I love him in jail. I love yep. the escape bits. I also uh, am very much a fan of Richard Harris's performance, Guy Pierce's performance. It's, it's a movie that I really like a lot that does not get nearly enough love, and uh, I do like the idea of the wrongfully accused prisoner who does make did, his escape did you? and then makes his uh, vengeance known upon his enemies. Arthur, you've got a look on your face that I think is the same look that I'm feeling. He left out Luis Guzman. I did leave out Luis Guzman. I was actually just going to ask, did Richard Harris ever write a follow-up to Hannibal Rising? I don't believe so, no. I think that was the last one he wrote. Okay. Uh, what well, do you ask? I'm, I was just wondering. This is different no. Richard Harris I'm talking about. Yeah, you're talking about the actor. I'm talking about Thomas Dumbledore. Harris. Thomas Harris. Uh, Thomas, oh, that's what threw me off. I was like, what? I didn't say that right. <laughs> I, I, for some reason, Arthur, I assumed you and I were on the same wavelength about uh, the, that lack of Luis Guzman. Luis Guzman. Luis Guzman. Guzman. great. I'll go there. I'll take him out. I'll go bang, bang, We need bang. to do that movie sometime. Yeah, we do. That's that, a fun movie. That's good trash. Is it? I, I have, I've only seen it the one time. I was like 12, so I don't really I, I remember enjoying movie. it quite a bit. It's worth it. We don't get into drama territory very often, but it's definitely worthwhile. But aren't there more beloved adaptations of that story? Yeah, there are. There, there are good ones, I'm sure. Okay, but we should watch. Yeah, <laughs> this is the kind of films that we talk about. Yeah, this, so. is, yeah. this is definitely in the good track. Yeah, level, strong say. point. Then we can follow with Man in the Iron Mask. Yes. Oh, man. I, I forgot about that movie. <laughs> Fun times. All right, well, there you go. There's our second round of picks. Mr. Arthur Gordon, let's hear number three from you. I've got to go with, uh, with uh, what really inspired this for me, and that's Catherine Martin from Silence of the Lambs, the uh, yes. senator's daughter. Uh, I think that is a movie chock full of uh, very, very well-written and strong characters, and I think she is just as smart and uh, crafty and uh, just guile like she's full of guile to be able to, to do what she does to trick um buffalo bill and I, I think it's brilliant i think uh you know she's a sympathetic character but she's also smart and she's strong and i greatly appreciate that and in a film full of that you know i i, I 
I I think uh, Jodie Foster. I think Clarice is one of the all time great you know female leads in in movies, and I I think this whole movie. I think she overshadows this film, but I mean all the minor characters in the movie I think are very very good. And Catherine Martin, I, she's great. Um, it's a harrowing performance. She does a great job. I'm sure it was a hard uh, role to film. Um, and I, I think she just does such a great job. And I think uh, she should get some more appreciation for it. Because I think it's vital to that film success. I totally agree. Thank you very much for that. Also, R.I.P. Tom Petty. And we do see a bit Aww. of her doing some uh, singing along the radio to American yep. Girl. Um, make it last all night. And so that's some good stuff right there. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what is your third and final pick for favorite cinematic prisoners? My third and final pick actually has a bit of a connection to the Stanford Prison Experiment because one of the guards in that film um, decides to actively take on the role of one of the guards in this film, and that is Paul Newman in Cool Hand Luke. Cool Hand Luke, eater of 50 eggs, defiler of parking meters. Um, just an absolute all-timer in terms of, yeah, yes, I could have, we could have, there's a lot of you know, we have tried to stray from the beaten path in prisoners. We have not gone with, quote, prison movies with this exception. So yes, for the prison pick, we could have gone with uh, Andy Dufresne. We could have gone with uh, Michael Clark Duncan in the Green Mile. But no, I go with Paul Newman um, because, man, that was one of the first movies that I, I remember seeing, like, the one of the first 60s, 70s films I remember watching as a, as a young teen and being like, oh, shit, there is really something to glean from this earlier era of film that I've been kind of ignoring. Um, so that, that was the first film that was, you know, quote, a classic that I w- went through the trouble of going to see and um, really kind of broadened my horizons in terms of film. And it's a character that uh, has always really stuck, to, stuck with me, uh, despite uh, some of the problems that that film has. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalsford. And I am going to pick Michael Clark Duncan, or Michael Duncan Clark. I always get Michael Clark Duncan. Clark Duncan uh, from The Green Mile because I have to it play is a the good Six pick. Degrees of Kevin Bacon. We went from the Jesus film to the guy that played Jesus to Jesus himself, John Coffey, who is our Lord and Savior. Um, and, uh, you know, God should always be like coffee, strong and black. And uh, this is one of those great cases where that happens. All right, and, Michael. Huh? RIP, yeah, yeah, it's a sad deal. There also, he does a great bit of voice acting in the first Kung Fu Panda movie. He is the uh, prison guard uh, that's, nice. uh, that's holding Tai Lung. So anyway, that's just neither here nor there. But I love the performance. I love the idea of this innocent man who brings redemption not only to you know Tom Hanks at all amongst the guards, but also uh, uh, one Edouard Delacroix. You know that he's able to bring redemption even to some of the other people. That's on. Sam Rockwell's character, right? Uh, that is not Sam Rockwell's character. Uh, the he does not get any. Yeah, redemption. That's right. That's he's Michael the one that's character. Yeah, that's right. Sam Rockwell's character is called Wild Bill Wharton. Yeah, he's the one that's real Wharton. shitty. Yeah, yeah, he's a bad guy. It always bums me out seeing Sam Rockwell play villains. Well, yeah, but he does such a great job. He's, he's so very gonzo with that performance as well. Yeah, but I love man. that movie. It's all about the prison system there in Louisiana at the time. Mm-hmm. If you get an opportunity and you want to sort of delve a little deeper into prison stuff, you know, obviously Stephen King is a very literary kind of writer in general, and uh, you know, you can look at stuff with Shawshank Redemption, other things like that. But I'm going to recommend a piece of poetry just for like a little uh, side note to go with this. a book called uh, One Big Self uh, by C.D. Wright in which uh, she just goes and has conversations with prisoners and then takes those documents and reforms them into verse and to poetry and to think about the life of these people. And uh, there's also some accompanying uh, bits of uh, photography uh, by a professional photographer using tinnitype, um, ancient, sort of an ancient uh, photography technology uh, for that as well. So I recommend it and Michael Clark Duncan's performance in The 
Green Mile. It is quite a good performance. It is. Uh, I want to retcon all my picks with uh, Brie Larson from Room. Oh, shit. And uh, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, call it a day. Well, you know, we are watching Saw, so you can on. retcon all you want. Have you not seen it? I'm still not caught up with it. Yeah, uh, yeah I think you got to check it well, out. Well, and I like Brie Larson a lot. Yeah, you got to check it out. I, the premise of the film it's just, tough. It, it bums me out to the degree that I have a really hard time making myself want to yeah, watch it. Yeah, it's tough. I think uh, it's, it's. I think there's some hope at the end. Yeah, people, get through it. people being imprisoned by shitheads uh, yeah. is a lot more tolerable when it's, you know, jokey like Kimmy Schmidt or, you know, uh, a suspense film like Silence yeah. of the Lambs. When you actually have to wrestle with... Uh, the trauma of that, yeah. it's really unpleasant. Yeah. So, okay. I'm, I'm going to check it out. I will make myself do that. I also want to uh, give an honorable mention to The Men of the Work, uh, which is a documentary I, I was fortunate enough to see at the uh, Dead Center Film Festival this year. Um, it's uh, a documentary about how uh, toxic masculinity really just fucks up all of us and ruins our relationships with our fathers and everyone around us. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a documentary about... Uh, Prisoners and non-prisoners doing therapy together in prison for a weekend. All right. And I guess I will give an honorable mention as well. Sean Penn and Dead Men Walking. Uh, because, really? Yeah, I mean, I love Is it good? Movie. Oh, it's so good. It's one of those movies that you always hear about, like, being good when it came, like, being regarded as... Oh, it's as, super heavy-handed and all yeah. that. But, I mean, it, it's emotional. It's, it's definitely an emotional ride of a film. Any and, movie... here? My, my barometer for, like, whether or not I should go back and check something out is if it got Oscar nominations when it came out, but you never hear people talk about it, I assume it's not very good. I don't think that's the case here. Okay. I mean, it, it's definitely of its moment. And, mm-hmm. it's, and, I mean, it's not like a movie you watch a bunch mm-hmm. or okay. anything like that. But, I mean, it is, it's an emotional uh, telling of a story. It's based on a true story. Yes, I do know um, that. Uh, the nun that's played by um, Susan Sarandon, Sarandon yep. is, uh, is a real person. And uh, she does some great work uh, okay. fighting the death penalty, which we all should be doing. But uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, and I think, uh, speaking of neither here nor there, we should get there, which is uh, business time. And that little piece of trap music will let you know that we are no longer entrapped in our game. It's not trap music at all. No, that is not trap music. <laughs> that, that's, that's, the that's, that's, com- that's comedy folk music. Yeah, it's comedy folk music. Uh, we know that it's now time to get down to business. And so I guess I get the first thing I want to just open up because, um, Arthur, you've been saying so many great words. And so I huh? want to give you a chance to say those words again uh, regarding this film as a franchise. You just- are something of the, the official Good Trash Media uh, torture porn historian uh, just by having know. seen all seven Saw films. I've, I've seen all seven Saw films and Martyrs, and I don't know how many of those actually fall into well, torture I just porn. want you to situate why this thing works so well and what it is about the uh, the, the sort of uh, the economic sort of model that we're dealing with when we're dealing with the Saw films. Uh, so we're, uh, we're looking, let's go back, it's 2004, and we're really coming out, uh, we haven't had a strong franchise player in so far as horror is concerned. In 96 we get uh, Scream, uh, and then we get those fall in the following years uh we have a couple of sequels you know throughout you know i still know what you did last summer and things like that are happening but since the uh really the kind of halloween fizzles out in the 90s uh jason fizzles out early in the 90s you know nightmare kind of fizzles out there as well there's nothing really and so there's not been this kind of strong attraction to a a a genre picture of, of this sort yeah, I think studios really put their chips behind slashers as the horror subgenre. There is that, and, and we see that again. You know, Platinum Dooms comes in; they start remaking stuff mm-hmm. uh, in the early '90s or in the early 2000s. Uh, 
Texas, Texas Chainsaw, Chainsaw Massacre, Massacre. Cole in the beginning, uh, or the remake, and then the, the remake, and then the, yeah, then they do the prequels, uh, and then we've got um, you know the we get the uh, Freddy versus Jason uh, by uh, Dimension, uh, um, is it? Yeah, Dimension. Yeah. I believe so. Um, fuzzy there, but uh, we, we, we're seeing all these things. So slasher is still kind of the go-to, and we're trying mm-hmm. to milk that dry, and it's really not working. And then you got these two film, you know, film students show up uh, with the short film. And, and it's firing on all cylinders, and they decide to give them, you know, the money to go ahead and make the full feature-length film, and it works. I, th- I, I, I it debuts maybe it's, I think Sundance or one of the smaller film festivals. Sundance, and then it uh, plays for TIFF, I believe, and it gets really good reactions. Uh, and as you mentioned off air, they were just going to do straight to DVD, and then uh, and they were like, no, let's release it. And it was the greatest mistake they ever made because this movie made bank. I mean. I want to say at least hundreds of, th- of millions. I, I mean, I believe it crosses a hundred million. I'm not. I'm not. Don't quote me on that. I'll look it up. Uh, but it you, made but I'm quite sure. tenfold its budget. It made its budget back. And this in, is typical for horror multiple. films and to have is. the micro budgets and then big turnarounds. Yeah, right? and it just hit. I mean, yeah, and it falls in a strong tradition. You know, Nightmare on Elm Street did the same thing, and you're really playing off that same kind of tradition at the genre. And it really it it kicks off. Uh, a cycle, but it also kicks off uh, a pandemonium. And there's some great marketing that goes into it. If you kind of do some research, they cornered the market with that kind of that tagline, you know, uh, it's October means saw or something like that. You know, yeah. saw is October. October is saw. They they really figured out very quickly. Yeah. Wait a second. We can just crank out one of these a year. Yeah. And we will be a cottage industry. Yeah. Yeah. Bloomhouse does a similar thing with the paranormal activity yeah. movies. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that comes along a few years later. And the other one, uh, Final Destination, I believe, opens in 2004, 2003. It's in the same time frame. That's the only other film franchise that really kind of launches. I think they made four or five of those, if I'm not mistaken. I like a couple of those quite a bit. Oh, I do too. I think the yeah. first one's a lot I think of the, fun. I really like the first two. I, I would really like to visit it uh, for the show. Oh, God, I love Ali Larder. Anyway, um, just there's something about saw and i think it's because it's so different we're moving away from a just a pure slasher you know there's that element to jigsaw that he's a serial killer but this isn't you know about the hunt for the serial killer it's about the prisoners and these games and i think there's something to it there's this mystery and there's it's it's thinks it's smarter than it is and it's cool it's doing something different visually i think it, it it's a hundred percent uh just resourcefulness on Juan's part and, and Waddell's part to, you know, make it work. They're just doing what they can to make this film work. And it just comes out looking really cool and, and doing some really cool stuff. But I think there's this idea that we get fascinated with these, these traps and these games and, you know, how imaginative can we get and how creative can it be? And, and like you mentioned earlier, it gets so convoluted, some of these games. Like, it, they don't make sense. They're ridiculously way too much. They're revealed too much. Uh, b- but the whole, I think, franchise is you know, let's get bigger, let's get better. Uh, but there's also the idea, you, Dalton mentioned this earlier, we're playing on the same, we've got the same formula every time, right? Yeah. People are trapped in a room, building, house, whatever. A lot of gore, a lot of gore, a lot of gore. Huge twist ending. And essentially it acts as a serial in that it gives us this cliffhanger that we've got to follow up on the next year. No other franchise does this. We may have a stinger where the mm-hmm. killer's still alive. You know, Michael's still walking off. He's not really dead. But Saw, I think, is the first one to really capitalize on the idea of leave them wanting more. 
So we have this big twist ending. Oh, crap. What's going to happen? You know, just completely changes the stakes yeah. of what? Oh, crap. Jigsaw's been in the room the whole time. Oh, crap. Jigsaw's not He's working alone. Yeah. Oh, crap. Jigsaw's fucking dead. Oh, crap. Jigsaw's a grandparent, has seven kids, and a Mormon. I don't know, but it, we want to know, you know? Yeah. And it keeps going. We get Detective Hoffman, mm-hmm. and there's this rec- returning cast of characters. And, and really, when we get the four. We're we're starting to marry those two because we get uh, we get Mandalore in there as Hoffman and we see him in three in a scene I think I don't, he's only there once and he comes in in four and he's the victim and then at the end of four we get the reveal that Hoffman's the real apprentice he's mm-hmm. he's the true apprentice that's going to take over and from there you know, spoiler alert for if you haven't seen this franchise I don't care uh, but uh, Hoffman really just takes over and when we get to five and six and seven and it takes on this whole campy cheesy it's yeah. playing heavy into what it i mean this this franchise knows it's convoluted it knows it doesn't make sense well it's it's right up there with the fast and the furious franchise in bringing back like secondary characters and making yeah. them leads yeah certainly and, and so you know hoffman's there and the there's another there's a, a fbi agent that's in four as well uh, who's kind of a key player in five i believe um, and, and five opens with a really fun, uh, thing where, uh, that FBI agent is in a, in a, in a trap and he has to find out a way, a way to survive it and, and it works well. But there's just, I think it's that puzzle idea that people love. It's that idea that we don't know what's going to happen next. We need to go out and see. There's a cool factor. Like we said earlier, I mean, the target demographic is just 18 to 24 year old boys. They, it's, it's that cool factor. I mean, Oh, you know, sex, violence, gore. I mean, that's what they're wanting to see. That's what they're paying. And they're paying a lot of money to see that. And I don't think any other franchise was able to offer that up. A lot of them are working towards nostalgia when we're dealing with these remakes. And and I think there's something positive to be said about the Texas Chainsaw remake. I I think there's something solid there. Um, But a lot of them are just relying on nostalgia and they're still paying by numbers. And I think at least Saw was trying to do something different and break out of a mold. And it's a franchise that's been quiet for several years, and now we've got Jigsaw coming back, and, you know, we've got the whole thing. Uh, I mean, uh, Tobin was at uh, Tobin the Bell. Stock Exchange the other day with the, the crew, right? They were opening the Stock Exchange and really? Pool Saw. Yeah. That's, uh, that's fun. Yeah, there are people there dressed like Billy the Puppet and, you know, things like that. And it's really just... Wait, the puppet has a name? Yeah, Billy the Puppet. Huh. I believe. I think that's what... I don't know if it's ever actually named. Hey, but Arthur, I'm, I believe you. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Billy. Uh, he actually has a cameo in uh, Dead Silence. Uh, he's, there's a, a room full of uh, dummies, and you can see him in there if you look. Um, I, I vividly remember that. Uh, yeah. If I, I have a really soft spot. I don't know why. I, I, I think it's because of the type of story it is, but I like Dead Silence. It's, it's, it's very, not particularly great. It's a very goofy film. And Juan, I think, will attest to that. Uh, the studio got way too much uh, in that uh, movie. Uh, but uh, anyway... Uh, I, I just I think there's this appeal about Saw that is able, and I, I really do think it's that idea of raising the stakes every time mm-hmm. and just leaving the audience wanting more. And if you can leave them guessing, and you can keep laying these pieces, even if they don't make sense, you can try a time in later. But there are a lot of things I think that do. If you go back, a lot of it is there, and and some of it's like a big stretch, but some of it works. And, and and I think it was just a way to you know change it up and and then we started getting the cycles you know hostile I, I can't remember if saw or hostile was first saw was first okay I, I I thought so so we started getting the cycle we get hostile and we kind of start getting these kind of you know moving into that torture porn idea and we'll probably talk about that more in a minute and what that actually means um, and the faculty of horror have done a really good job I think of defining that with uh, their episode on martyrs um, but uh, I think as a franchise it just 
it, it changed the game. And, and, it, and part of that is with Juan in becoming a director that he, he's very resourceful. And that's allowed him to break out and do other things. And, and I, I think The Conjuring is probably his best movie. Um, it's my favorite movie of his. Um, but he understands storytelling, I think. And he understands using what he's got to do the best he can. And even if that doesn't always work, like Conjuring 2, I think he's still... Um, his his mediocre movies are still better than a lot of other people's you know mm-hmm. uh, average movies, and I, and I think he is a guy to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Flanagan's another guy who's a guy to watch. Um, and uh, you know, maybe Jigsaw had been directed by Mike Flanagan. Oh, I would be, be over the moon for yeah. it. Um, and I I think something that uh, I don't know if you've hit on Arthur. I, I, you know, you all the things that Saw has done. It also. Um, has done something. I think without that, we don't get wide releases for things like It Follows and uh, The Babadook yeah. and uh, The Witch. Like, it really made studios realize that they could just keep an eye on, you know, the midnight, uh, you know, screenings at horror f- or at uh, film festivals. They keep an eye on that, that midnight time slot, right? And they could buy uh, a, a movie that was made for a million or less and they could, you know, they could drop what was for them a very small pittance of five to ten million dollars yeah. and flip it around and you know make a lot of money off of it. Uh, and you know, commerce aside, uh, that that aspect of it's much less interesting to me into the fact than the fact that we get to see all these interesting movies we wouldn't have otherwise seen. Yeah. Uh, so um, you know, when I think about Saw, I generally think about the bad things that it did to horror as a genre. But I think you you've made a case that kind of made me think about all of the other really small horror movies that we might not have gotten to see if Saw didn't teach that that was a bankable way to, to uh, wasn't a viable way for other studios to, to make a profit. So there's something to be said for that too, I think. Independent horror is the safest bet a studio can make. Yeah. Because it's so low budget. They don't have Special to make effects any, they, don't matter. They don't have to spend any money except for acquiring it. Yeah. And, I mean, you can't do it with sci-fi because sci-fi usually is going to really high unless you've got something like Ex Machina, which is not really, you know, super, super effects driven. And again, um, it's kind of one of those like sort of a studio movie yeah. things because it's got named actors and, yeah. you know, known quantities, you know, behind the camera. Yeah. But uh, I, I really think horror is the only one where you can go in and, and just pick something up, you know, uh... The Babadook, or uh, I, I can't think of it. It follows. Mm-hmm. You know, these are small movies. <laughs> Jordan Pills, get out. Yeah, let's. I mean, absolutely. Jordan Pills is kind of a name in comedy, mm-hmm. but this guy made one of the biggest movies of the year. Oh yeah, decidedly a, the smash hit of twenty. Probably the smallest budget of the. I mean, budget to box office ratio is probably the biggest of the year. Yeah, and and, and I, 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 it's studios won't make take it uh, take that gamble on anything else but they'll take it on a word i think that's very important uh because it launches some key things if we didn't take those gambles you know not only do we not get it follows we don't get we don't get nightmare on elm street that was a gamble for a studio to make right. for a small beginning i mean an independent studio yeah, the new mean, line was a huge then yeah but it still was a gamble yeah but uh and nightmare on elm street made new line into a player and yeah. and, uh, and that's important for people to remember and uh carpenter i mean you look at carpenter's work i mean this is an independent director making independent horror films and they're all, you know, somewhat successful as, as far as developing a cult status and, and allowing him to work and become regarded as one of the greatest directors working. Before we move on, Arthur, I did look it up for you. The original Saw has a reported budget of one point three million dollars, okay. and it grossed one hundred and three point. I'm sorry, one point two million was the reported budget. It grossed one hundred and three point nine million dollars. That is over one hundred times return. Yeah. 
That is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's buku cash right there is what that is. Um, I think another thing that we need to talk about with this film is it does sp- spin off the uh, the genre of the torture porn film. This is a 2004 film, and um, I, th- th- this is a, a little mix of a bit of film theory and some just cultural contextualization for me. Um, I think Julia Kristeva's uh, idea of abjection, the idea of looking that which you are not to look into the face of horror, to uh, to look at the gross and the icky, and you know, the, mm-hmm. I think abjection. And, and any sort of gore houndy uh, sort of uh, bit of filmmaking is always very, very well connected. But I think particular abjection here is that this is happening within a year of the Abu Ghraib torture um, you know, photographs being mm-hmm. released uh, during the war on terror. And then the, the, the big discussion about the use of torture, waterboarding, uh, enhanced interrogation techniques. Torture. Sort of the euphemism. That's, yeah, torture. torture. Totally, totally torture. And so I, I think the film does create this weird way in which people want to look at it to, again, identify themselves as not that. Uh, I, I think that's, that is, um, you know, you talk about the sort of uh, excellent writing in terms of the cliffhangers and uh, marketability and those kind of things in terms of film. But I think it's also very timely for a moment. Again, just luckily so. I'm not sure that Juan and Winnell were necessarily thinking about, hey, you know what, let's have a reflection on Abu Ghraib. I, I, don't, I don't think that's what was going on in their minds. But I do think uh, that that moment did make what they were doing very timely, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. And I, I think there is... Uh, very much a, a societal gameplay element at, at place too that these you know the fact that all these films are centered around uh, Arthur you mentioned this I think on air last week that uh, without the Saw franchise we probably don't end up with the the weird cultural phenomenon that is escape rooms uh, and I think that's a big part of what makes this franchise uh, so successful is not not the gore so much as the what would you do model um, and that that goes a long way to making something successful I think is. Um, because there are no real characters, there's no, there's nothing to really anchor you to emotionally. So the only thing that the film has to anchor you to, except for visceral thrills, is uh, intellectual exercise. Yeah. Um, and I think there's something to be said for that in these films of all oh, those dumbasses. I would have figured that out, yeah. or oh man, I would never have figured that out. I yeah. am a dumb, dumb person. You know, whatever you know lens you want to look at it through. I think there is something to be said for that. And with these films. There, you got to find something to hang on to. And for me, that's one of the most interesting things about this franchise is what the fuck do people find so endearing about it? Um, because, again, it, it's so successful that they've gone ahead and made another one. Um, they, they've rebooted the franchise. Um, so there, there is something very in, enduring, not necessarily endearing, but certainly enduring about this franchise that, that people keep coming back to. And, and I, I, for me, the only thing I can think of is that that intellectual exercise of what would you do? Um, because again, it's certainly not the characters. It's certainly not the mythology. I mean, I think that might be there for some people, uh, but it's not, definitely does not have anything to do with the wide, the widespread mainstream appeal of this film. And it's definitely not the gore because I mean, the gore is for the gore hounds. That is not for the mainstream audiences yeah. uh, because most people avert their eyes at the absolute, like, you know, most graphic <laughs> yeah. things. I wish the hell I do. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, I, I have, uh, you know, as much appreciation for a good practical effect as the next person. But, um, I, you know, I don't like watching people's arms and legs get turned around. That's pretty gross. Nope. Um, my, my point is, though, I, I think outside of what Dustin mentioned is, you know, th- that moment in time, you know, that, that cultural context that's important for figuring out why certain things are successful. I think there is the enduring, you know, human psychological component of you know, getting to think about what would you, what you would do in an 
absolutely unimaginable, completely dire situation. And I think there is something there with that. Um, I, I think, Dustin, what are your thoughts on how um, the franchise that Saw is often given credit for? I really feel like Hostel um, should be given more credit for this whole the, the idea of the torture porn franchise uh, yeah, because so. it is decidedly more tortury than yeah. really any of the, at least the first two Saw movies. And I yeah. think by Saw 3, Hostel had already kind of come out and really probably forced um, – the the studio and the filmmakers kind of up their game in terms of shock value. Um, what what are your thoughts on this franchise? Because you probably have ex- been exposed to a little bit more than Arthur or I. Because again, I've seen Hostel, I've seen the first two, three Saw movies, and Martyrs. Uh, do, do you have any deeper context with this genre than I do? No, I, and as far as seeing the films, I have not. Okay, but I do think there is another move that happens though in terms of context. So you're talking about identification stuff, mm-hmm. and so we we're identifying with the victims and the what would we do mm-hmm. and. All also, you know, we are sutured in and still separate and abject as spectators going, this is horrible and this is not the sort of thing that we want to do, which also leads to the weird di- dynamic dialectic between ourselves and the uh, perpetrators themselves, right? Uh, that these, these, uh, that, that Jigsaw, Tobin Bell, is this crazy sort of Old Testament God. And uh, that is judgmental and full of wrath. And I think it's weird in, in these films, and we, we've, we've talked about before how uh, in horror films, especially slasher films, there is always a sort of Old Testament kind of justice. The reason why you get killed is for having sex or doing drugs, you know, or being disrespectful, those kind of things. Uh, this, this doesn't fall into quite those sort of teenage sort of uh, standard categories this film does and in the, the films of its ilk. But these are bad people. Mm-hmm. You know, Carrie yeah. Elwes is a punk, and he's not very nice. No, he's, he's, he's a terrible husband. Uh, not really a great doctor. Terrible bedside manner. Mm-hmm. And so you, you feel... It, it, it weirdly puts you in a position where you kind of are halfway rooting for Jigsaw because yeah. you are rooting for Old Testament justice, which I find to be just fascinating mm-hmm. and a little repulsive. That, that's an interesting uh, component of the appeal of these that I had not thought about. Um, I, I find that very interesting. I, and Hostel really baffles me a little bit more because, again, it didn't have the legs that this franchise did. But the first – I know the first one was a huge success, and I think the second one was fairly successful as well. Um, and that first movie is vile. It's gross. Um, it's pretty interesting. Uh, there's interesting things about it, but it is a decidedly gross film. Um, and I, I don't know if it's the engagement with human trafficking, which was something that the West was really just kind of thinking about in the early aughts for the very first time. I, I don't know if that's what it is. I, I don't know if it's, you know, Eli Roth's, you know, sensibilities that are kind of kinetic and propulsive. I, you know, I really don't know what it is about that franchise that, or that, that particular, that first entry that made it so successful, um, other than, uh, Pranked maybe American fears of the rest of the world and don't leave the safety of America. Otherwise, you will get straight up snatched up and cut up on. Um, I, I don't know if that's what it is. But I think there's definitely a fear of terror, uh, you know, that's going yeah. on. It's definitely sort of a re- uh, response to the uh, the world created by the George W. Bush administration. Okay. Uh, it's just interesting to me. I, I think the last thing uh, that I, I'd like to talk about that we haven't really touched on yet is – um, which you just barely kind of dipped a toe in, I'd like to go into a little bit more, is the, the philosophy of Tobin Bell's Jigsaw, right? This idea that uh, there are people who do not appreciate that they're alive and therefore they must have their resolve and their willpower tested. It's the bucket list, you know, it's the heartwarming life is for living film, um, just with a, <laughs> a, a bit more viscera. Yeah. 
I, I think for me, what's so frustrating about it as I was watching this film, and I, again, I don't know how you guys feel, but watching this film, the, the thing that really kind of kept me from plugging into it was something I didn't remember. It was just honestly how full of shit Jigsaw is. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's just what a fucking douchebag. Yeah. You don't get to decide what appreciation for life looks like on other people. Yeah. And, and it's really, and it, is, it comes back to that the conservatism of the horror genre, this idea that there is some sort of arbitration that can take place that defines one person's morality and, and puts it on another person. I mean, I, I think there's, I'm not going to go full, uh, throw fully throw my hat into the ring for more relativism here. I, I will say that I think we can definitely all decide that there is a line somewhere. Um, but I, you know, what is Lee Winnell's character, Adam doing that's so bad? He's, he's, uh, a private eye. I mean, yeah, for all intents and purposes. Pretty much. I mean, he he gets called to voyeur, but and they never. He's a private detective. That's what private eyes do. Is they he take pictures, pictures of, of people, people who are affairs. Yeah. yeah. What is uh, Doctor Gordon doing that's so bad? Yeah, he's a bad husband. But there are lots of bad husbands. There's lots of bad spouses in general. There's lots of yeah. bad parents. They don't really need to have their feet cut off. Yeah, he's not a he's not a you know abusive husband or father. He's just neglectful and you know yeah. unfaithful. But uh, he, he's certainly not the worst. What did what did Zep do? Zep didn't do we shit as far we as we can still tell. Don't know. We have no idea. Yeah, we don't know what um, the, the the guy with the covered in kerosene. I can't remember what he did. I don't remember. I feel like he was like a dirty accountant or attorney or yeah, something. Yeah, I don't remember. I can't remember what either of those guys do. Shawnee Smith's character, um, junkie Amanda. Amanda, thank you. She's a junkie. And. So yeah. you, you need your face blown So, off, so you get to have your jaws ripped open because you like to do a little heroin and you're having yeah. trouble kicking the kicking the H? Come on, man. That is not how you get clean. Yeah. You take Amanda to therapy if you actually give a shit about her. And yeah. I think that's what really bothers me about... The, and again, they really double down on this idea, through, especially in the second one. I do, yeah. Um, and again, I think... To me, with the second one, it's it works a little bit better because Donnie Wahlberg's character is really kind of repulsive. He's yeah. really a really big shithead, and it works a little bit better in the second one. But and the the characters in the second one are given even less background than in the first one. Yeah. But for me, the 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 fact that we built this seven soon to be eight entry horror franchise on this idea that this serial killer is testing people's will to live really falls apart after the first movie because the traps get unsolvable. Um, the the gore is just ratcheted up to the extent of like, of course no one is going to, you know, cut out their eyeball to get a key. Who would do that? You're going to take the Venus flytrap to the face. It's a yeah. pretty quick death. Like yeah. the, the, the degrees to which people are expected to mutilate themselves to survive in these films yeah. just gets, you have cancer, dude, get over it. Yeah. A lot of people get cancer, and it sucks ass, man. I've watched too many people I care about, like, die or barely make it through cancer. It's not cool. It is not worth uh, – again, I'm, I'm losing the, the thread here. I'm getting a little irritated. But I just find the, the central premise of these films to be so bafflingly stupid um, that it really kind of kept me from getting into this film uh, the way that I thought I would. Yeah, and, and, and it's extremely problematic because his, you know, his – extremely problematic ideology is really hidden by this cool factor mm -hmm. and, and it goes back to what dustin was saying we kind of want to root for jigsaw especially in this first film yeah uh, and, and 
And if you're not discerning, I think you, you really do want to root for him in later films when they try to – they add these layers to him to make him more sympathetic if you're not really paying attention to kind of the, the darkness that he's really going into. Um, and I, I think they do a nice job of giving us, you know, quote-unquote more innocent – um, victims in the mm-hmm. later films, right? We've got Eric Matthews' son in two, mm-hmm. who hasn't really done anything. No, he's and, being punished for the sins of his father. Yeah, and, and, and the whole game isn't about the guys in the house. The game is is all about Eric Matthews. Which, again, devalues the lives of those people that get stuck yeah. in that house. And that's what we see throughout the rest of the film. I, you know, in three, um, we've got the, the mourning father who all these other people are brought in to be, you know, pawns in this game for this one guy's test, which actually is Amanda's test, you know, and, and, and there's a simplicity of what Jigsaw is doing, but it's extremely complex in the setup. And, and I think that his ideology, if, if you're not paying attention, it really does get lost in that cool factor. And, 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 and it's dangerous. And for me, it was watching two. And then as I was watching two, I started to remember a lot of things about three that I really kind of got pissed off uh, because three is all about uh, Jigsaw testing this guy who uh, it turns out jigsaw murdered his son because uh, jigsaw got drunk and tried to keep drive himself off a cliff and in the process killed a kid hey jigsaw don't blame it on the you know the douchebag attorney who helped the somebody else get away with it you ran over a child right you ran over a child uh, and it's this like deflection of responsibility that i find really repugnant and it's you know the idea that um, well we're going to try to teach this crooked cop a lesson by murdering all the people who whose lives this crooked cop ruined. Like, that's the twist of two, as it turns out, Donnie Wahlberg framed all the people in this house for what they were convicted for, and yeah, some of them seem kind of shitty. But as far as we know, their only crime is being kind of an asshole and being uh, taken advantage of by the criminal justice system by, you know, as, um, as represented by Donnie Wahlberg. That's their only crime, and the people in two die some pretty horrific deaths. Um, and the fact that Jigsaw keeps punishing people for helping him is baffling to me. Like, the, the fact that he cannot see, like, his complicity uh, in these murders is just, it defies logic. Uh, and, and again, yeah. really makes the franchise fall apart for me uh, very quickly. All righty. Well, there you go, dear listener. I think we've had an excellent conversation about the film Saw. So we come now to the point of the show where we must render a verdict and uh, determine whether or not the film Saw goes in on, on the shelf or in the trash, uh, whether we dismember the film or whether or not we keep it in tact perhaps and then our else's or instead's based on that selection i go to you first mr arthur gordon what do you say shelf or trash else or instead it's on the shelf i don't know all seven of them yep they're all there and i don't feel remorse for that at all uh my first one is i've got a thematic uh, thing to go with here in a minute but i i was thinking about this i really want to go with a, a little independent i believe it's british film called exam that's kind of a high-concept little thriller I, 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 yeah you and i uh, both are fans of this movie yeah. uh and and there's kind of this like literal play uh, at work here that really fits in with a lot of what Jigsaw says and his verbiage and the actual messages that he's uh, saying and the twist in exam uh, I think really would work in a, in a saw film uh, when you, after you watch it. Uh, And so I I think that would just be a fun little pairing uh, with saw. Uh, But I'm going to say there are three movies you have to watch with this because they all do same similar things. They're all, kind of small perfect storm films mm-hmm. that changed horror and so i say you you, you got to watch the texas chainsaw massacre number one I, I i think you have to it's it's vitally important to the genre 
Um, and more so than the other two films, it is a perfect storm that should never have worked uh, because of the crew and because of filming conditions and all of these things. But it, it's it's a great film. That, yeah, the fact that, that, that movie, visited. the fact it's as good as it is, is shocking. Yeah, it should not have worked on any level. Uh, and then you're going to follow that up, of course, with Carpenter's Halloween. Uh, mileage may vary with this film, but that you can't downplay how important it is as as, as a film as uh, to the genre and, and uh it's iconic and i know you know a lot of people have you know mixed reactions to it and it's kind of dated and a little boring slow uh but carpenter i think is is a master and it's got a great score so if nothing else you've got that going for it and finally i've, I've mentioned it a few times um it made new it made new line cinema as a player and you've got to watch the nightmare on elm street um and 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 i think that's the best pairing because there's this playfulness to Freddie that I think matches up and kind of complements the the methodologies of of Jigsaw, mm-hmm. and so I think more than the other two, that's the perfect pairing because of that um, playfulness of of those two villains and how that works within. And we've got these kind of you know they're not games, they're dreams, but there's this kind of fantastical element to it at work. And I think that pairs very well with saw. Excellent. I appreciate those picks very much. Mr. Arthur Gordon, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say? Show for trash else or instead? I, I really am of two minds about this film. Um, I, I, I appreciate things about it. I, I think it is fairly entertaining. Um, but again, I, I'm a little annoyed with it, um, really, the more I think about it. And again, I remember really, really liking the first two Saw movies and having watched them both over the last couple of days. I'm, I'm really come, come around on them uh, negatively. Um, but I will say that I, I think there is something to, you know, Arthur has really made a case for these films as being important. And I, I think, again, there is something there. Uh, and, and again, I like James Wan a lot as a director. And I, I think he is... I think the only filmmaker I can think of that has really had a multi-million dollar success with horror uh, over the last, like, 20 years. I mean, he is one of the most successful horror directors in history, um, and that's that's something. Um, so, yeah, I'm not going to throw in the trash. Maybe I'll, I'll put it in a toilet full of diarrhea, um, <laughs> much, much like... Uh, Follow your heart. Much like, in the, much like the one that Lee Winnell has to sift through. So, yes... We're not getting rid of Saw, but it should be harder to watch than it is. Um, so that, that's what I'll say about that. Uh, what should you watch instead of Saw? What, what are some, some better single-location thrillers that I, I just like a lot more? Well, let's start with uh, Pontypool, uh, the, oh, the, the yeah. film that we did all the way back, way, way back on uh, Shocktober number 1, the uh, little Canadian uh, zombie film um, that could. Uh, uh, that that zombie film about semiotics. Yes, and it is. Structuralism. Yes, it is. Starring Stephen McCaddy. Um, I really like that movie a lot, and I think it is better than the first Saw movie. Uh, what else could you watch? Um, I don't know. Um, Buried with Ryan Reynolds. Not a great film. Uh, great performance, though. Um, better than Lee Winnell's performance. Better than Carrie Ellis's performance. So I, I think there's something to be said for that. And a film that actively uh, interrogates the place of the West in the Middle East, circa, you know, 2006, 7, 8. You know, it really kind of interrogates the, our purposes there and, you know, our the treatment of human beings on both sides of a conflict as uh, expendable. And I think there's something to be said for that. Um, how about a really dumb, uh, schlocky Joel Schumacher film called Phone Booth uh, that I... I uh, we, I believe we talked about when we were watching uh, Flatliners not that long right. ago. Um, I, I like 
I like it. I like Phone Booth. I think uh, there, there's something very fun and engrossing about it. I think the first act and a half is much better uh, than what comes next. But, uh, again, uh, you've got a spooky voice giving instructions. There are penalties for the instructions not being followed. You've got one person who is kind of a douchebag being forced to make penance for their mistakes. And, again, I'm pretty sure it came out before Saw. So that, that, there's something to be so. said for that. So th- those are some films that I think do better things with this single location, you know, this being trapped in one place. Uh, again, only Pontypool is the only one that's decidedly uh, in the horror column. The other two are really more thrillers or suspense films. Uh, but, but again, I, I just think e- even Exam, which Arthur mentioned, which is a film that I like quite a bit, um, you know, it's... It's definitely not the best film uh, that that has ever been made. It's certainly not even the best single location film that's been mentioned today. But I, I think it's got some really interesting stuff going on in it. So there's just better movies in the Saw franchise, guys. And um, this this Hallow's Eve, spare yourself the trouble. Watch Alien. Watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Watch Nightmare Before. Uh, Nightmare, we keep trying to Nightmare for Christmas. Watch Nightmare on Elm Street. You don't need to watch the Saw franchise. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalsford. I'm going to say shelf, so uh, go ahead and watch Saw. Um, right. I think it's fun and it's good and it's worth your time. So I, I, I do tend to disagree a little bit there uh, with it, but it does have diminishing returns. So if you've seen Saw already, watch something else. If you haven't, you should get to it because, yeah. I guess the, I was working under the assumption literally everyone uh, that would listen to a film podcast has probably already seen that film. Well, but it may have been a long time. You know? That's true. And, and there, is a, there is a certain pleasure. We've had this experience when we watched The Craft where – um, I had seen the movie, but I sort of forgotten everything. And there's a uh, there's an odd pleasure in like anticipating beats, but you're not quite sure you're right. And then uh, finding out you are, or finding out the ways in which you were slightly off. That's always sort of pleasurable as well. Okay, I can get behind that. If it's been ten years or more since you've seen the original, I, I, I think an experience is worthwhile. I can get behind that. And I own it already myself. And I think the DVD uh, commentary is uh, insightful and fun. And uh, here, Lee Winnell in his Australian accent rather than his American accent is uh, delightful all by itself. So um, I do recommend that. Uh, in terms of your else's, I recommend a piece of criticism and a film. I do recommend Julia Kristeva's Powers of Horror. Uh, it's a uh, it's a short essay, and it's about the idea of being abject, abject and the sort of fascination with that, how we define ourselves by what we are absolutely not, the way in which othering works. And uh, so it's definitely worth your time for that. And then a uh, film that is probably the most abject film I can think of, and that is uh, Takashi Miyake's Audition from 1999. Mike. Uh, Mike. You're okay. I have long dreaded watching that film. I'm I'm actively afraid of watching that movie. there is a horror beat in saw that's a direct lift from audition there, there's a couple Takashi Miike films that i'm actively afraid to watch i did is i saw the devil no that's a korean film never mind mm-hmm. um there's a yeah, man I'm, I'm afraid of that movie you should be it's terrifying yeah i'm scared it's probably a one-time watch I'm scared of it. But I think you should. And I think it'd be a good movie to walk into this Hallow's Eve. You know what else would be a good movie to walk into this Hallow's Eve? What's that, Dustin? Perhaps the next film we watch in our Shocktober Marathon. Um, Arthur, what might that be? Well, you said a one-timer, and I think this movie's probably going to fall in line I with that. I think you're probably right. Uh, this is a movie that has been making waves in the horror genre this year. Uh, it's got a lot of uh, uh, people who love it. And so we're going to visit it. It just dropped on Netflix. It is a French-Belgium film. And uh, we're going to be watching Raw. Um, maybe he's bringing some uh, some uh, raw steaks to eat with it, and uh, it's about sushi. It's, yeah, it's all okay. about sushi. 
God, I wish it was. Uh, All about sushi. Uh, you know, it's funny that um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre came up so many times throughout the, this episode, a, a film that's decidedly uh, interrogating the the efficacy and yeah. or the uh, the um, ethics. The ethics. Thank you. I'm having a, I'm having a brain fart today. Uh, the ethics of eating meat, and uh, this film uh, really is going to kind of carry that torch. Yeah. If you're not a vegetarian after that Texas Chainsaw episode, you you might be after next week's Raw episode. Or you could just do what I do, which is insist on eating meat anyway and just really feeling shameful the entire time. Yeah, that's what I do. I eat meat in my I, late 20s the way I masturbated in my early teens. Just, just crying. full of shame. And crying. Really embarrassed. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. I have <laughs> nothing more to say. Um, I usually would say that the discussion uh, around a film, even when it's bad, is worthwhile, although I've been cast into doubt regarding that here at this moment. But I do think it's absolutely what we do and why we do. That's why the universe put me in your path, Dustin, oh, to test you endlessly. Yes, yes. And so True. we're going to keep watching. Uh, or rather, you're going to keep watching. We're going to keep talking. And we're going to see you all next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Good Trash Genrecast, a production of Good Trash Media. For more great Good Trash content, go to goodtrashmedia.com. Our intro is a little ditty put together by me, Arthur Gordon, with some help from my friends Junkie XL and Hans Zimmer and the Wonder Woman score. And our outro is the wonderful Wicked Games by Chris Isaac. I never dreamed that I'd meet somebody like you. I never dreamed that I'd lose somebody like you No, I don't want to fall in love No, I don't want to fall in love With you 